Yo, yo, this is Justin, Justin B. Bieber. Hey, it's Ariana Grande. Just the interviews. A Zach Sang Show exclusive podcast. It's the Zach Sang Show. We got Heather, we got Dan, Hi. and we welcome to the studio the Hollywood medium. It's Tyler Henry. Right. Yes. Thank you for having me. Your voice is so soothing. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm going to do ASMR videos. Like <laughs> you, you really could do that. I'll just start tapping my nails and talking, <laughs> whispering, making dolphin noises. <laughs> I'm really happy to have you in here. I watched a lot of your work. Thank you. Obviously with many people. It's been a crazy couple weeks for you, right? It really has. I can't believe we're already in our third season so it's it's gone by so fast i started doing this when i was 19 for the show and now i'm 22 and it feels like wow. it started yesterday <laughs> when you're doing these promo rounds are you turned on to spirits are you open when i find i do like things like this uh you know as i've kind of gone through the seasons i found that to maintain some sense of normalcy i kind of have like interview mode and then i have reading mode <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but i kind of have to alternate between both but okay so how do you balance the two it's a bit tricky it's it's really kind of something that's a bit like uh, background noise so as i go throughout my life i always have some degree of intuitive background noise there's always stuff kind of floating around but it really takes a conscious effort to sit with a person and really connect and kind of turn that volume dial up because in order to maintain some sense of normalcy I have to really be able to kind of be able to focus on my own life and my thoughts and my feelings and my answers and when I do a reading and kind of get into that headspace it's really kind of putting everything that's mine to the side and being able to just be a conduit for information but is that a muscle that you have to work it's definitely something that requires practice I mean I think we all have an intuition uh, if you look at the word intuition it literally is inner tuition it, it means inner knowledge and so we all have the capacity to tap into that to some sense but I think like anything it's like a muscle and the more you use it the more uh, adapt you can be in in doing it when you're 10 years old and you realize that your grandma is going to pass on yeah that was your first moment from that moment on are you just flooded with you know messages from the other side spirits trying to come through and then you have to work on honing that and focusing it well it was really weird because you know at 10 years old i had this premonition of my grandmother's death and when you're 10 years old it's just something that happens to you you don't call it nobility you're not a medium um, it was just something that I couldn't explain. But I would find when I would go to school and interact with kids, for some reason, I would just have these moments of knowingness where I would interact with a person, and usually it was kids, <laughs> and I would just have this moment where even if it was a small detail, I would be able to just bring it forward. And one time I was on a PE track uh, talking with a group of kids, and I looked over at one kid and I said, do you have an uncle named Sal? And he said, yes, yeah, Salvador. My uncle's name is Salvador, and he's, he's, we're not close to the family. We haven't talked. How did you know that? And I just said, I don't know. I just knew it. So stuff like that would just start happening regularly, and I couldn't explain it and started realizing that it could have an impact in people's lives. Like, what, what did you see or hear to know that this person was there? In the time, it just felt like a memory. So the uncle was still alive, by the way. His uncle was alive and well, but it was just the family relation that I was able to get. And at the time, it just felt like it was as if I had an uncle named Sal. It almost just felt like rec recollecting a memory that wasn't mine. And it sounds ridiculous, but if I hold up this amount of fingers and I put it down and I ask you to visualize how many fingers I was just holding up, you would fight and argue with how many fingers I was holding up. You know for a fact how many I was. In the same way that insistently, it's like when I would interact with people, I would have these things where it was like, duh, this is obvious. But it happened to relate to them and, and not me. Have you ever seen... Uh, this is so fascinating to me because I am a believer sure. in the idea of... And in the, the fact that somebody can communicate with spirits who have moved on and passed on. But w th that side of the universe has dark and light. Correct? 
You know, uh, it's a great question. I even myself have, have big philosophical questions as far as if we look at the afterlife. Do we have a heaven? Do we have a hell? Um, you know, none of the experiences I've had have really validated a, a theological idea of heaven or hell. If anything, they've acknowledged that there's a continuation of life. They equate it to some form of a continuation of energy and information being able to continue on. And they really don't paint it as black and white as, as human beings would like. <laughs> and we as humans always want an answer. And as a medium, people always ask me and expect that I have the answer. And I tell people, it's above my head. It's above all of our heads. I don't think we have the capability of understanding it as human beings. Do you have dreams? I do. And sometimes intuitive things will come through in dreams. I think dreams for a lot of people can be very helpful as a way of connecting because when we're going through our day-to-day -day lives, we're in our conscious minds. We're focusing on our schedules and what we're going to do and what we had for breakfast. When we go to sleep, we really are not able to keep that conscious grasp. And so we kind of enter a subconscious state where yeah. I think we're more susceptible to experiences and to noticing things that we might not be able to notice when our conscious mind just shuts it down. So, Have you ever seen something in any moment that was dark or negative or scary? You know, I've had experiences that, uh, you know, made me uncomfortable for sure, but I've never really had anything reading wise where, you know, like there was this dark figure standing behind someone, you know, who looked like the boogeyman. I've never had any experience like that. I've had to relay really difficult information before, like health information, um, you know, difficult stuff about people's family and paternity issues and various things, but it's always to answer a question and to be helpful. How do you handle a situation where you sit down with somebody who has a one-on-one -on -one reading and nothing comes through. Something almost always comes through, even if it isn't what the client wants to hear. And so Got a it. client may come with a specific goal. Usually they do. They either want to you know, connect with a loved one or get a validation or have a sense of clarity about their career. Whatever it is, I don't. I really don't ask them. I just try to kind of intuitively bring forward whatever I think they're meant to hear. And so sometimes that's what the client wants to hear. Other times it hits them left field. But I believe that whatever comes out in that moment uh, is happening for a reason. I believe the timing occurs for a reason. And you know, it really, it happens with purpose. Have you ever sat down with somebody and they just said, what you're telling me is wrong? I have never had anyone consistently sit down and say every single thing you're saying is wrong. I, in a reading, I aim for about 80% of the information to be verified or validatable for me to know that I have a sincere connection with the person. There always might be a 20% portion in a reading where a person has to check with other family or yeah. call their mom up or dad, and, and usually it ends up fitting in that way. What, what are you hearing right now? Like, what is your white noise? <laughs> it's actually just kind of like static. I've really, like, when I do this balance and, and maintain these kind of head spaces, it's like an intuitive head space is where I kind of quiet my own thoughts, feelings, responses, answers, anything along those lines. And then entering an intuitive headspace is more just being open to the energy of the surroundings. And so they're just two very different mentalities. Energy of the surroundings, and that's obviously spirits, right? You know, I think it's more complicated than that. I think, uh, you know, even I, in my, in my terminology, I don't always call spirits spirits. I call them consciousnesses. Because I think when we say spirit, it kind of evokes an image of like a ghost, yeah. like something that's going to go bump in the night. And I really don't think that's the case. I think this is the essence of our loved ones and who they are. These aren't these foreign you know, ghosts walking in, in the middle of the night that we're going to bump into. This is your family, your loved ones, the people you know and care about and their continuation of life. When you, okay, you're 10 years old and you, you realize you have this gift, right. who helps you through it? Who helps you navigate it? Because, I mean, I, I, your mom, Teresa, is a really nice lady, <laughs> but I, I don't know if she's a medium. I, I don't know if she's ever forged this ground before. Sure. Well, you know, she had no experience, nor did my family. And so when I had that first initial premonition, it was something I just kept between my mom and I. And we really didn't talk about it much until I started getting these feelings about kids at school. And that's when things really started changing. And I started getting feelings about teachers and sharing it with them. And then that was like a whole other territory. Were you reading teachers? I was.
was, and I read my math teacher, in fact, and I was horrible at math. <laughs> and so in exchange for <laughs> private math tutoring, she would actually ask me to stay after class hmm. and talk with her. And, and initially it started with, I had a message for her from her fa- mother-in-law, rather, who passed away. And she passed away like the week prior and she'd gone to a memorial and she, I just got all this information about her. So I came to my teacher after class and explained all this and it was all accurate. And then she stayed in touch with me. And so every you know week or so we would meet after class and I'd get a little tutoring and she'd ask a couple questions and sometimes I would share information and it, it would make sense. Was there any pressure or stress on you in that situation? I, one would think, but I was so comfortable with her that I felt like I could really be myself. And she was actually really instrumental in helping me get out of high school because I graduated high school when I was 16. You did accelerate it. Yeah, with the the hope of becoming a hospice nurse. And so she really encouraged that because she said, clearly you have an ability. You're not like the other kids at school. You obviously don't want to stay in high school and go to prom and all that. So she she really felt that hospice would be an applicable way to do this that could be helpful and I agreed and and so I went to college. Were you the one who had the idea about becoming a hospice nurse? I did and she really validated that and kind of gave me the push because it seemed like a big thing to do. How old were you when you realized that you wanted to do that? Probably around 16 or so. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's a, a heavy job to bear. It is, but I felt like my life kind of always had that other element of it because of you know the other side that I may as well help people and may well may as well apply it in a way that could be useful and I feel like hospice felt like a natural way to do that what was the reading that led to you getting on TV <laughs> you know it was many um, I jumped through tons of hoops I, I had to read countless executives at the e-network I had to prove myself over and over again so it wasn't just one reading but I did meet one guy actually at a Christmas party and he would later go on to be the executive producer of the show and he was a bit skeptical, but he was curious that, about moving a medium. And so I agreed to meet with him the next day and do a reading. And when I did, I brought through a friend of his who had transitioned themselves. And it was like this really emotional thing. It was really heavy. And then before I knew it, literally within a couple months, I had an offer from, from E. So, yeah. Did they want to do this show before they met you? They I definitely had to meet me first. They had to understand and had to get firsthand readings, I think, to really get it. And how did those paths cross? Because you grew up in like a really tiny yeah. town, right outside of Fresno? That's right, near Hanford, which very few people have heard of. But Never yes, heard of it. It's, yeah. it's really <laughs> yeah. small. It is. It is. And so basically word of mouth spread. At 16 is when I was you know, doing the college thing and trying to go down that route. And I was also doing readings on the side. And I felt like if someone was legitimate, they shouldn't have to advertise. So I didn't. And I just did it through word of mouth. And before I knew it, word of mouth spread so much that people from Southern California were contacting me within about a year. And so at 17, I had to decide whether, you know, I go down the hospice route or whether I accommodate the demand of all the readings. So one day I looked at my email and I had an email from a woman named Sarah and I looked at the last name and it said Sarah Paulson. Oh, wow. And it was this woman inquiring about a reading and I thought, oh, that's nice. And I responded and she said she was from LA and I was like, oh, that's nice, whatever. And then I realized, holy cow, it's Sarah Paulson. Like, this Sarah Paulson. And that was my first celebrity client. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. She's a good one to have. She wow. is. What do you do when you walk in and you have no idea who the person is? I prefer it because then I'm not anxious. I'm not, I'm not anxious because I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, this is an icon or this is someone that I admire. If I don't know the person it's it's actually like comforting to me because they're just another face it could be someone that I passed by in a shopping mall it means nothing and so it allows me I think to put my own thoughts and feelings and emotions to the side more easily whereas if I were nervous or excited to meet them I would kind of have to work through that a little bit more you want to go in with a clean slate. I do. But obviously there's times where I recognize clients. There's times where I'm going to walk into a situation and I have some degree of an awareness of that person. Um, but I always kind of have to put that to the side and get new information, information that isn't public and information that's specific. Do you feel like you're doing 
as much good today as you would be doing as a hospice nurse, more or less? I think more because I think the platform that this has allowed has been really, you know, incredible. And we were able to broadcast over 153 countries and to bring this awareness and this message. And I feel like it's really helped people on a large level be able to come to terms with certain things, if, if not passing of loved ones, their own mortality, and or at least, you know, create a conversation about it and dialogue, which I think is important. So you read Sarah Paulson. Yeah. She obviously has an experience. And it's a private reading, no cameras. Right. Does she pass your name along to an agent, to an executive, to another celebrity friend? You know, it, it really basically just went through word of mouth more on the executive end. I had read one producer who introduced me to another producer, which just, you know, kind of worked like wow. that. And so um, when we finally got the offer for the show, there was a question as far as the, the, the direction to go. I mean, do we film it celebrities? Do we film everyday people? And for me, I just wanted to share what I do. And because it's E, they wanted <laughs> to go the more celebrity route. And, um, you know, I viewed that as a positive because I think it's opened the minds of these fans of people who do come on the show, fans of, of that would never be open to this type of thing or being a medium. It's like if we take Lil John and we look at him and we have him on the show, his followers and his demographic of people, their eyes are open now to yeah. this experience and to something that might not be a part of their worldview. But now it is because this is someone they look up to as having a validating experience. And you know. But with this sort of notoriety, it does come skeptics. Sure. You know, it, it, you, you Google Tyler Henry and there's a ton of positive stuff, but right. Grief Vampire is... Of course. One not of the words. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You, what, do you, what do you think of that? Yeah. You know, I think there's a big difference between skepticism and cynicism. And I knew going to this work that I was going to deal with a lot of people who didn't agree. But the people who have spoken poorly of me are people that have never met me, people who have never received a reading. And I understand that being in the public eye, like a politician or, or really even just a reality star, you do open yourself up for a lot of criticism and a lot of people. Um, for me, I think it's very important to have firsthand experience. And it's why I put such an emphasis when I do a reading on a person on validating details that are specific details like childhood memories and specific things that is going to make sure the person leaves the experience and knows, hey, I've made a connection. There's something here that I have not talked about in an interview, something that I know for a fact can't be Googled, something that is specific and personal. And when I'm able to give a client that, they know it's real. Um, but, you know, the hard part is kind of convincing the rest of the world. <laughs> so. but, but it comes by, you know, yeah. putting out these readings and everyone being, being made aware of it and yeah. actually watching and giving it a chance. Exactly. And I, I view it as a positive thing even. You know, I think regardless of the wide array of opinions, it means people are aware of it. They're, they're, it's, it's created a conversation and a dialogue, and I, I think that's important. Are you drained after a reading? Uh, yes, for sure. On some level, physically, I feel drained after a reading. Um, I always say my sixth sense uses the other five senses to communicate. So <laughs> I might get a physical sensation that corresponds with how someone passes. I might hear a noise. I might get a smell. And I have to kind of figure out what it means and why it's happening and what the relevance is. And that really is it's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, I've we've had another medium on the show, Monica the Medium. If she was on Freeform, yep. she had like a teacher, you know, when she was exploring her gifts, like some other medium reached out and kind of of like guided her but you've really done this just on your own through the help of high school right absolutely and Sarah Paulson and Sarah Paulson <laughs> yeah it was something I, I really felt like you know I, I kind of had to do on my own because I couldn't really relate to anyone else um, even other mediums I saw over 200 and and some wow. were some were validating experiences that were amazing and others I was like okay I can tell that there's also people who aren't legitimate um, so but I just didn't have anyone really to guide me 
When you say C, did you sit down for sessions? Yes. So I actually personally sat down with over 200 psychics, people who claim to be psychics at least. And (laughs) and some were insane and bizarre and others just ran through the same script that they would tell everybody. Wow. (laughs) I see. You're going to have kids. Yeah. No, that's my favorite. They're like, you have a girlfriend. I'm like, girl, please. Oh, honey. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) Why? Why why did you want to sit down with 200 psychics? I wanted to really know how I could refine my ability to see how other people do it and also what not to do. And and I felt like that kind of informed why I went. But honestly, a lot of it was for personal insight, too. I wanted to see, like, what would they say? What would they see? And, and you know, what would it be? And when you say what would they do, is it how they handle sensitive information? Is it how they relay the communication? Yeah, I think everyone has a different communication style. And so for me, I wanted to be as diplomatic and tactful and conscientious and professional as I could. And I knew when I did this that this is dealing with people's lives and some of the biggest events of their life. And I want to take that seriously. And I don't want it to be this thing that is like a you know a neon sign in the back with the palm and the you know doing card readings <laughs> mm-hmm. that has a place in the world but for me in the way that I worked I I kind of wanted to do something more and and really see how other people did that you mentioned the severity of what you do Chad Michael Murray is a reading of yours that just recently kind of went viral yeah you, correct me if I'm wrong but you claim that he had a situation with his grandmother she was found with her hands tied behind her back mm-hmm. and she was ha- hanging right you claim that It was a suicide. It wasn't a murder. I definitely didn't feel the impression about the grandpa, that the story that his family had told was kind of in the air. And so when I connected with the grandma and the grandpa both, they both came through very differently. But it, the grandpa was really insistent on kind of trying to set this record straight, set this record straight, that something that some narrative that he had had been kind of changed after he died. And that was a big message. And it really related heavily to the fact that the family discussed whether grandpa did or didn't do this this thing. And on the way there, I had this woman coming through who acknowledged emotional issues and emotional difficulty. And so with that all put together, I kind of had to go with where the information led and where, what it indicated. And, and it was fascinating reading, but tough. <laughs> that it, I mean, there's yeah. pressure on that. Huge, huge, huge. You're talking to a family who has lived their life knowing one story, believing one thing. Right. It was always a question. I mean, I, I think that they had heard the story, they had heard the rumors of it, but Grandpa, there was never enough evidence, and so he was released. And it was just one of those things, was questions of postpartum, and if that yeah. contributed to it. And, and I don't know if necessarily if that was shown in the episode, but that was a big, big thing that came through, too. So. Well, I can't even imagine the pressure and the stress, because you really do. You take on the burden. You have to be a very empathetic, open person. Yeah, definitely. And, and also be able, I think, to keep my own emotions and feelings... It, to the side in some way, I think, to be a clear conduit. Because if I teared up every time the client teared up, we would have a very emotional medium. Right. <laughs> I'd cry every time. I know. I'd be like, <laughs> what reading has stuck with you the longest? Ooh, um, it's a tie, probably between RuPaul and Alan Thicke. I mean, yeah. yeah. You, you, you called that one. Yeah, that was hard. But RuPaul's, I think, was probably, on a positive note, one of the better ones. Uh, just because in sitting with him, he was a huge inspiration to me. His dad came through who had dealt with a gambling addiction in life that he never really was able to take accountability for. And his dad throughout his life felt like his gambling addiction was actually something that could help the family in the long run. He rationalized it because he thought, if I just win big this one time, I'm never going to have to do it again. We're all set. We're all set. Well, RuPaul's dad died and never really took accountability for this or verbalized this. And when his dad came through, 
from the other side, he communicated an awareness of this and said, wow, from where I'm at, now I can see this ripple effect. I can see what my actions did. I can see what my inactions did. I'm sorry, and I understand this. And by being able to take acceptance and forgive himself, he lended that opportunity to RuPaul to forgive his dad. And it just, on all levels, was healing in a way that showed that when we know better, we do better. It, it really is closure, and it is healing. And I want to say that like, even... Even if on the chance that you're not really communicating with spirits on the other side, that closure still does a lot of good. Sure. You can understand that, right? Of course. I think closure is a huge thing. I think it's a massive thing that everybody needs. And validation, I think, is the most important. And that kind of helps facilitate closure. So, yeah. Well, you also warned Khloe Kardashian that Tristan Thompson would cheat on her. Well, I I saw some relationship issues, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you feel when this all came out? Oh, uh, I was sad. I was sad for her. I mean, the timing is just horrible. I can't imagine having to go through that. Um, but I think you know, getting the validation, sometimes having information beforehand can be helpful to help a person navigate it. And I hope that the information I gave her is helping her navigate life right now because she needs, she needs the help and she's an amazing person. Have you talked to his spirit today? Uh, today? You know, not so much. I haven't really had a, a huge reading, so, you know, I kind of keep it at bay. Usually readings take about three days to fully recover from. So oh, wow. when I do it, it's really like I have to really kind of rev myself up. So, okay, what is your recovery like? I'm- lots of naps. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I mean, lots of naps. I spend a lot of time. I live in a rural area, so I just kind of spend a lot of time alone. And when I'm not doing readings, I just kind of really have to disconnect from anything outside of myself. Do you have a spirit guide? I do, I do. I work with guides that I consider to be like my team or people that have followed me since the beginning. And some people have names for them, others don't. Uh, for me, I don't really think a name is important. <laughs> I think they're just, you know, they're there, they're there. And um, yeah, for me, meditation and prayer has been a really good way to kind of refine that connection and help see those signs and indications. When was the last time you had a one-on-one connect, uh, conversation with a spirit? Ooh, um, not see. Maybe not even for a reading. Yeah. That's a great question. I'm trying to think when I last did a reading. It's been a couple days. Probably a couple days ago. I've done a bunch of Skype readings lately. And I've also been traveling actually across the country and doing group readings about like 200, um, actually not 200, like 3,000 people. So yeah, it's a lot. Do you, okay. So when you do that, like obviously everybody in the room wants a reading. Sure. That's a, that, that to me, my visual is like a traffic jam of your spirits trying to enter your brain. Right. It's kind of what it feels like sometimes. It really is. It's it's it, it's tricky. I like one-on-one readings more because I feel like I can get more out. I feel like I can be more personal. And some mediums are kind of like, oh, the jewelry, where's the cross? You know, more like lighthearted stuff. Yeah. When people come through to me, usually it's like, we're sorry for the incident that happened when you were seven and it's like that's the information that comes through because it's life changing but in a group setting that presents some challenges because it's like you know there's all these people watching and so that's kind of been one of the harder parts I prefer those one on ones well then you have to like shout out the different things that come through right yeah and I just have to be a little bit more tactful because you know these are people's personal lives and I mean they have an audience watching and I just want to make sure that they're getting the healing out of it and not feeling like they're on display (laughs) do you think it's a balance of selling out this this what would you call what you do Mm -hmm. I I'd say mediumship. Okay. Yeah. Was, is it an art? Is it a profession? Is it a I'd say it's a practice. Calling? I, can, I consider myself, yeah, it's a calling, but I consider it, you know, being a medium to me is like being a practitioner of mediumship. It's just like how a doctor is a practitioner of medicine. Yeah. I, as a medium, am a practitioner of mediumship. And so I think it's kind of serious in the same way you wouldn't call a 1-800 number to get a doctor's consultation. 
might not call the psychic hotline. <laughs> and they made a lot of money for a long time. Right. Yeah. 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 They, t- they stuck to that script. All right. Times are changing, though. And I hope that things like this, like me you know, having these conversations, helps people really redefine what they think of as a medium. But it is a balance, right? You know, you, 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 because it's so personal, you don't want to be that guy who's monetizing off of everybody's grief. Sure. You know, but you also want to make sure that you make a living and you're also, you know, doing what you've been called to do. Absolutely. I think it's important to have a balance in the sense that, you know, I do have a a financially higher tier of clientele on one aspect. And then on the other hand, I spend a lot of my time doing charity work and, and dedicating my readings towards everyday people who might not be able to afford a reading. By charity work, I mean, I'm not necessarily <laughs> out there at the soup kitchen. I'm just doing free readings for yeah. people. Um, and for me, that's important because it maintains that balance in making sure that I'm making a living. I'm helping the people who, you know, can pay large amounts of money because to them it's not large. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people who it's, you know, reason they need the help, they get that. So that's kind of how it works. Everybody deserves <laughs> it if, it, you know. Absolutely. And I also think we can get validation from other people's validation too. How much does it cost to get a reading with you? Depends on the tier of where you're at. <laughs> as far as <laughs> career, I sometimes I'll do it for free. I'm like, if you're an A-lister, then we'll chat. But you know, I have I do have my my higher rates that tend to also correlate with time. Um, readings are kind of based on time. So if I spend an hour, two hours, three hours with people, it depends. Could you do numerous readings in a day? Yeah, I've actually done up to Probably one day, 12. Oh, wow. 12 in one day. And there's no point in that day where you're like, I, I got to make something up here. I, you know, no. I got to. I just go with my gut. It's actually the easiest job in the world when you get a flow going. Because usually by the eighth person, you're like, all right, sit down. I'll read you. Like, yeah. you know, it's really revving up for that first one that actually got for it. me is more, more the trickiest part. And then coming down from 12 readings is like. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're doing these readings, what can you like see and not see? Do you see faces? Do you hear voices? What exactly is it? It's a great question because a lot of people think it's like the sixth sense and that yeah. I would see dead people standing behind you. And it's really not like that at all. Um, if anything, I really have to enter almost like a daydream-like state. So, you know, when you're in class and the teacher's talking and it's like, wop, 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 and you're, you're just kind of <laughs> zoned out. I really, I, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah. I, I really actually have to enter that mindset because that allows me to focus on very subtle impressions. And so when I get information, it uses the other five senses to communicate. I might get a physical sensation that correlates with how a person passed. So like if I get a chest pain or chest tingliness, I have to keep that in mind. And then I might get a smell. And then I have to think, okay, I'm getting chest tingliness and a smell. What do those things mean together? And then I basically have to come to all of these conclusions mentally based on the very small changes that are going on to figure out what it means and then to deliver it and then get it validated. So So you're not getting like a direct, like there's not someone in your head going, oh, I died of a heart attack. Exactly. You're getting feelings and you have to put it together. Exactly. It's Hmm. very subtle. Um, It's really not like like people think. It's not like I have a direct line of access to the other side. It's it's really just kind of feeling the changes that happened and relaying them as accurately as I can. And then as you guys can see, it can create some pretty cool, huge validation but I, it's really very interpretive. Now, is that why you're making all these crazy faces and hand gestures and movements? Yes, absolutely. In a reading, I'll sweat, I'll look up, I'll, you know, I, because it's really just trying to figure out what the heck is going on and, and what it means and what's, like, what I'm supposed to say as a result of it. Because I'm just the medium, I'm just the messenger, and, you know, when I'm sitting there receiving the message, I have to figure out, what does that mean? What is this? Watching you cry on your way to read Snooky <laughs> was really powerful. <laughs> Thank you. Like, he's in a taxi, your mom's not with you, which the whole time I'm wondering where's yeah, Teresa. Right, you know she should be driving you in that Ford <laughs> yes. to every reading. Um, but he gets like he gets hit with. I've watched. He yeah. starts bawling. Yeah, that was really an emotional one. In New York, I mean, New York will make me cry <laughs> in general because it's it's a lot of energy. But in that day, I mean, it was just really intense. And usually, I'm able to kind of keep a professional distance, you know, from it. But that day, it was just really tough. 
So, so what's the scribbling do? Yeah, so the scribbling is, the scribbles themselves are really nothing, but it's more the process of scribbling that helps me facilitate my process. So I found one day when I was on the phone with a, a girlfriend, just a friend, on the, on the phone uh, <laughs> in high school, and we were talking, doing homework, and I was doodling like you do when you're on the phone. But I, would found, I found that for whatever reason, any time that I would kind of put the pen to the paper and start doodling, I had a really hard time concentrating on what I was trying to say. It would just kind of like, it felt like my mind was just kind of being pulled in a different direction. And I let it kind of happen and realized I would start getting feelings about my friend who was on the phone every time I would just kind of let myself doodle. I didn't really know why, so I implemented it into readings, and I, I started scribbling. And I found that for some reason, the repetitive motion of doing this back and forth really almost allows me to kind of get into a different headspace, almost like open up a more subconscious headspace, where by doing this repetitive motion, it's almost like a metronome, if you guys know what yeah. that is. It's like a repetitive noise or repetitive motion. And that repetition is actually very important to my process. It's, it's almost like creates like a baseline, and I'm able to then pick up on more subtle things. Interesting. It's really weird. But this yeah, is something is. you come to with trial and error. Yeah. You know, and just absolutely. like evolution. For sure. And some sometimes I'll scribble and you know it'll come imme- immediately. Other times I'll be scribbling for a half hour and you know, I just won't feel as strong of a connection. Do you, you just have like a pile of scribble notebooks? Yeah, in do your you room? save them? I do. And clients used to not care about them. And then I got the show and everyone's like, Here, I want to have the, the scribble after the reading, but you know. Dude, I they're get gonna it. be sold for so much money at auction one day. <laughs> yeah, like darn, but it's gonna I be sick. I uh, actually have an art piece at my house of a, a big canvas and I have over a thousand scribbles um, that I've done that people didn't take and I I pasted them kind of to honor all of those loved ones. That's that very cool. Through. So I don't throw them away. I just add them to the art piece. <laughs> So, like, do you know what it's like to be dead? No, I okay. don't. I don't. I I would. I wish. Well, <laughs> I guess I, I don't wish I did. But <laughs> when they come through, they really view us as human beings, almost kind of like children, almost like babies. They they are able to understand that as a consciousness in their continuation, that we have so much that we're not able to understand. And if we were to take like a cockroach, let's say this was a cockroach, <laughs> and we were to try to explain to this cockroach arithmetic. We wouldn't have very much luck. I mean, the cockroach lives in our world. It's part of our physicality, but it's just limited in its capability to really understand big picture ideas. In the same way, we as human beings are really incapable of grasping the magnitude, I think, of the universe and also the afterlife and other dimensions and all of that. So any attempt at trying to get specifics has always just kind of led to we keep going, we keep learning, we retain information, we our essence continues on. But it's really not necessarily a place in the way that I think a lot of people think. Have you ever done a reading for like a scientist or like a physicist? I've read actually a lot of people. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson? He'd be amazing. Maybe season yeah. four. Um, Dr. Drew, I've read a, you know, a couple of doctors, people yeah. in the medical field. And, and it's definitely interesting because obviously they come typically with a more skeptical mindset. Yeah. Um, but I don't mind it. I think if someone's open-minded enough to sit down with me, you know, I'm, I'm game. And uh, I, in actually thinking, Dr. Drew this season was was one of the big big scientists, I guess, <laughs> on the show. Um, and he was very skeptical, but, you know, we sat together and his mom and dad, and a lot of information came through about both of them. And it really left him thinking about it. And I think made him a believer. His <laughs> wife was very passionate about it too, right? She, what's so funny about it is that she's a huge fan of mediums and he didn't believe in mediums. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just thought it was an interesting dichotomy that in their relationship, you could have such drastically different uh, mentalities, which I love because, you know, opposites attract sometimes. But, but th- that, he's a scientist, man. Yeah. He's a fact-based yeah, science yeah. guy. Yeah. So how do you channel a dog? 
It's a great question. So, and it doesn't come through barking. <laughs> I was like, yeah, bark, bark, bark. right. It actually just comes through more as a feeling. Um, like I said, because I don't see dead people walking around. I really, when I'm communicating with someone, I don't know what they look like in life. I often, well, eh, I often won't know the gender, but the gender will sometimes come through more as a feeling. If I do know the gender, it's usually through a feeling. It's not, I'm not saying like blue or pink in, in mm-hmm. the sense of what someone's wearing. <laughs> but um, I do have symbols that help kind of reference to that. And then when it comes to an animal, that usually will actually just come through more as a feeling. It's usually not descript so I won't get like a whole long you know life story it usually just come through almost like a child like with a sense of excitement I might get a name and then usually that's like it or I might get like a detail of how it passed but when animals come through they tend to not communicate as much information because you know they're, they're animals, animals yeah. <laughs> yeah well I mean they're not anymore they're a consciousness that occupied an animal that's continued on but it's it's experiences and its points of reference I think are limited in some capacity do you believe in reincarnation I do absolutely I think energy continues it shifts it evolves um, I think it, it would be hard for me to believe that we just stay in one constant state our whole forever so do you think when you're channeling energy or spirits or whatever yeah. you know is it coming from a object? Is it coming from an, uh, an alpaca somewhere in the world or something? <laughs> the complicated thing is, is that I believe that our soul is so much more than what occupies our body. And that yeah. as a soul and as a consciousness, we are so much more than what we think we are. And so in theory, I believe I could communicate with a person, a person's soul who's lived. Meanwhile, another part of their soul has continued on and reincarnated. I think it's very possible to be able to do both, both have someone that's reincarnated and still communicate with the soul of that person. Because I believe it's kind of complicated. It's not just like one thing. Your soul isn't just, it's convenient to think of our soul as one thing that enters our body when we're born and then pops (laughs) out when we die. (laughs) Because it's a very easy way to understand it. But I think we are so much more and also interconnected in a way that is is so much more than we can understand. Are mediums being born every day? (laughs) I, I... Probably, I reckon. I, mean, I reckon. Uh, I reckon. I like that. <laughs> I, I would imagine. I, 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 who knows? Have kids reach out to you and they're like, I have this gift too? Yeah, there's actually a lot. A lot of kids are very, very intuitive. And I think a, more than that, even a lot of parents have noticed a lot of their children like being very intuitive or saying weird things. And I've actually talked to a lot of parents and, and parents will really notice with their kids. You know, kids are just unapologetically themselves. They tell the truth. And so sometimes, you know, they'll they'll say really bizarre things that end up making sense in, in a way that they couldn't know in another way. So, Can you read yourself? I have a hard time reading myself because of bias. So the same reason why I prefer to not know the person I'm reading or not recognize them. When it comes to myself, if I have, you know, any bias, any hopes, fears, expectations, it gets in the way of the more subtle impressions. And so those hopes and fears and anxieties kind of take priority and make it hard to connect. Are you afraid that, like, this gift will go away at some point, or can it go away? It may. Uh, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's you know, I, I really take it every single day. I actually had a near-death experience when I was 18. I, I had a brain swelling and a brain cyst and had a whole near-death experience. And oh, damn. But you didn't know. You were just getting a headache. It was weird. I, the weird thing is, is about three weeks before that happened, I was in the car with my mom, and I looked over at her, and I didn't have a headache at the time. It was about three weeks. And I said, Mom, I think my brain is swelling. And she looked at me, she said, that's a silly thing to say. Like, why would you say that? That's silly. And she kind of blew it off. Three weeks later, I was in the hospital because I had this migraine that I had about a week. And so I went to the hospital thinking, you know, I'm just going to get migraine medication. I go and they're like, oh, no, something's wrong. You're numb in your face. And they put me in an MRI and they realized that I had a brain cyst at the base of my brain that they couldn't remove. And it was creating fluid in my and my brain was swelling. And so I was put into emergency brain surgery and it all, you know, happened really quick. Are you... What is what is your emotional state when you go into a hospital, whether it is to take on your own ailment yeah. or, like, I mean, 
It's just, uh, there's obviously so much energy. Yeah, hospitals are actually some of the hardest places, honestly, for me to be far more than graveyards. People always think, like, as a medium, is it bad going to a graveyard? No, not at all. I don't feel any energy in graveyards because I find that spirits or consciousnesses, whatever you want to call them, have more of a connection to, to people and places that they have more familiarity for. They're not connected to their body. And whereas in hospitals, people sometimes will live for months or weeks and then transition. And, yeah. and you know, it oftentimes is more connective. So... Hospitals are tough. Do you think that brain swelling was connected to your gift? Um, I've wondered. I've wondered if the cyst was connected to my gift because I was born with the cyst. And at 18, it grew large enough to actually become a problem. But they do know I was born with it. So who knows? Do you think your gift was the reason you knew it was happening, even though you didn't feel it I think physically? I, I, yeah, I absolutely think. I had to have had some form of an intuitive hunch to be able to know. And that's an exception where I was able to, in theory, yeah. read myself in like a life or death situation. But anything outside of life or death situations, I... I'm pretty blind to being able to tell my own stuff. How'd your process and mediumship change post-cyst? You know, um, I don't know if the process changed, but my outlook definitely did. When I woke up, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to appreciate every day now. I'm not going to let little things bother me. And you know, everybody says that, but when you you really come close to dying, you you live it. And it just changed my priorities. It made me jump into mediumship in a way that I, I hadn't, I, had, I wasn't fully committed to it, you know, before that because I thought maybe I want to go to the hospice route, maybe, route, maybe I want to do mediumship on the side. But when I woke up, I just knew being a medium is my purpose. I know that there's something more. I'm meant to, to live this and time is of the essence. I might, who knows how much time I have and I just want to be who I am and really live my calling so I don't have that regret. Can I ask like, what is your read on this room? What is... Uh... Um, right now, Truthfully, not much, not much, because usually it requires a process of kind of scribbling yeah. and kind of going through the mechanisms I have in place to be able to really tune in. So it's kind of how I maintain some sense of normalcy. <laughs> Which is hard. I mean, you know, I, I, we've spoken to mediums who go on dates and like right. uh, while they're on a date, you know, they find out that the grandmother, the person they're on a date with is coming through yeah. and they feel compelled to say something. Yeah, it's, it's happened to me before. And, it, you know, it's uh, I try to really view it as something that requires a time and a place. It's like therapy. You wouldn't, you know, be on a supermarket and like give someone therapy that you don't know. <laughs> in the same way, I think, you know, it's kind of something that requires a time and a place. And I try to view it that way. So what do you think of show like Monica the Medium on Freeform? That was the whole show. She was in situations yeah. like working a job and right. she'd get a reading. Yeah. I mean, she is, uh, I don't think she's on TV anymore, but Long no. Island Medium is, and she kind of does a similar thing. And yeah. so she will, you know, will go and, and pick people out. And I think different people are attracted to different mediums and to different styles of working and different personalities. And I, yeah. Have you had trouble like feeling like you fit in or making friends or relationships because of what you do? I, I think if anything, my intuition is giving me a pretty good gauge on like who I'm meant to be with and who really resonates and who doesn't. So I feel like it's actually prevented a lot of potentially problematic relationships or if people were disingenuous, it's kind of helped me feel like, okay, you know, you're, you're right. You're, you're not right for me. And being able to make that distinction. Are you in a relationship with Clint? I am in a relationship with Clint. Yes. Cool. How'd you meet Clint? Who's Clint? Yeah, Clint is my partner, my boyfriend. And uh, funny enough, we met after the show came out. We've been together for over a year now. We've oh, lived congrats. together. Thank you. Yeah. You guys live together? We do. We've lived together for over a year. Look at this. I know. Look at that. And uh, we basically just met after the show came out. His his mom was a fan. He was a fan of the show. And his grandfather kept coming through pretty insistently. And it ends up his grandpa passed away a week before we met. And so his grandpa kept kept coming in and 
explained a bunch of details and came through and communicated a message for him and his family and ended up making sense. And it was a very private thing. And, and it, it just gave us a really close bond because he was grieving the death of his grandpa. I was able to bring his grandpa through and, and really show him that he was still around. And we just had a really great friendship that naturally evolved into a relationship. How'd y'all meet? Did he slide into your DMs? He sl- slid into those DMs, you know, Twitter. That's wow. how you meet nowadays. That's how it works. That's how it works, you yeah. Know. But I mean, <laughs> I feel like the grandpa brought you together. That's what I think. And that's I what, think so. That's what we believe because of the timing yeah. of it, you know, that, that week he before. Knew. He knew that you were the one for him. Oh, I love I it. think so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. When you have that message for him, are you in the zone to receive a message or is it just a, is a spirit insistent on getting through? In that case, it was just insistent. I mean, there's times where no matter how much I'm trying to be present, something will just come in and I can't, I can't ignore it and I have to say it. But for the most part, usually it's kind of my process that helps initiate a reading or not. Um, but in his case, yeah, there's stuff that comes through. In fact, the other day we were sitting together and it was like 11 o'clock at night and we were just unwinding and I looked over at him and I'm like, I'm seeing my fourth grade teacher. His name was Gary Rice. And I'm like, why am I seeing my fourth grade teacher? He looks at me and says, Gary Rice, Gary Rice. I know that name. I said, why? And he said, well, because it's a family friend of ours, Gary Rice. It wasn't my fourth grade teacher, but it was a man of the same name. And my boyfriend's from Georgia, and I'm from California, and I went to school in California. He knew someone by the same name. That's <laughs> weird. And, who, and it ended up actually having relevance in his family in the days that followed. There was some news about Gary. It was the whole thing, so it happens. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So has, has there ever been anything where it's just been, like, too much? Like, I can't say this. This will hurt somebody. This will just crush someone. Yeah. Uh, no, because I, I really set the intention before reading to only receive information that I can deliver. Or else, for me, it's pointless <laughs> to kind of pick up on it if I can't deliver it. Because if I sit on a message, then I'm not doing the message any service. I'm not delivering it. Well, it sounds like in that way you're almost picking what you want to hear then, right? Well, I would say I just have to deliver anything that I pick up on. And I ask to pick up only on certain things that can be helpful to the client. And so I communicate everything that I feel is important that comes through. Do you feel like you have an obligation to communicate absolutely everything? Absolutely. I think anything that I feel compelled to share, I should share because I really liken my job more to like a mailman than anything. It's just like, you know, a mailman doesn't write the letters. He just hands you, hands you the letter. So in my position, I have to really just be the person to, this is the message. This is what it is. Here you go. With the message, though, how specific can it get? Like with the Chloe thing, did you see like cheating or did you just see trouble? In that case, I saw distance. I saw, so in that case, as I was concentrating on her, I saw physical distance and that being a problem in their relationship. And the way that I saw that was I saw a map and I saw a point over here and a point over here. And that to me is kind of my generic symbol for distance contributing to a problem. But when I tune in to save people's relationships or whatever, sometimes I'll see something to keep in mind. And sometimes it's a problem. Sometimes it's a good thing. It's just usually connecting to the energy of the situation. What's been your greatest accomplishment so far? Oh, man, that's a... Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I would say just doing over a thousand readings. (laughs) That's a pretty big accomplishment. I I feel like just bringing awareness to what I do has been been huge. And and more than that, just showing people that our loved ones are still connected to us and giving the validation. And at the very least, I think just helping people have a conversation about what it means not not necessarily to die, but what it means to be alive. And if our loved ones are around us and if they are connected to us, what does that mean about life and how we can live it? And I think creating that dialogue or at least contributing to that conversation for me has been big. What is Tyler Henry doing in 10 years? Oh, hopefully a lot more readings. Uh, I've, I'm working on my second book right now. Nice. I, I've traveled to 16 different country, countries, 16 different locations <laughs> throughout the country um, to do group events and things along those lines and, and being able to share that ability there. And I hope she just keep doing it. <laughs> well, I think validation is w- interesting because you're giving people bad news sometimes sure. and that bad news happens. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's validating that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. 
But in your mind, it's like, how is that? Because you're like, well, I'm validating myself, but it's true. This is bad. Yeah. I think sometimes awareness can help people uh, cope with things more. And so even if there's something bad that comes through or something that might be painful to deliver, it's still giving the person the heads up and the awareness of, hey, you need to keep this in mind. If we can fix it, great. This is what you need to do to fix it. But if we can't change it, at least we can have a little bit more acceptance around it because we know it's coming. And that's kind of the philosophy behind delivering bad news. <laughs> I think I think of it like a doctor. Like if a doctor is going to examine my body, but yeah. they're going to like keep a diagnosis to themselves. Right. You know, th- that doesn't mean no service. No matter how good or bad it is, I need to be aware. Mm-hmm. Yes. How are you feeling, Heather? How am I feeling? Yeah, Heather's Why? a non-believer. Oh. oh, I love it. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you don't believe in my job. Great. Um, no, I, f- I mean, talking to you is different yeah. than seeing just seeing it on television. I... I believe that you believe yeah. that what you're doing is real. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? For sure. And if you're doing it and if you're doing it for good reasons, yeah. I don't I don't care. Right. Do what you want to do. I mean Absolutely. I think that's the beauty of diversity. And if we didn't have diversity, it'd be a boring world. Yeah. The You've cool never thing made is, anything up. Never. never. The cool thing is I've asked you more questions than I've ever asked any guest we've oh, ever right. had. Because I'm actually genuinely, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're interested. interested. I have questions. Absolutely. Heather can always ask questions. No, no, no. She's just not fascinated by people no, no, usually. No, it's not that I can't. And no one tells me to shut up. I'm just saying I'm genuinely interested. Sure. No, I yeah. <laughs> What surprised you the most about being a celebrity? Yeah, I'd say maybe the people stopping me in public is, yeah. is kind of the weird part. Uh, I never, I mean, I knew that would happen, but but it happens at really interesting times, like at three in the morning or like <laughs> if I'm going out, you know, not that I go out at three in the morning often, yeah, but it does Hollywood, you, you know? know, girl, I'm got working. But um, no, I'm in, thankfully in Malibu, Dude. so I'm away from the party scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this guys will stop you all night for photos. They sure will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Must be pretty cool though, that you're seeing all these people and they all know who you are when you're going to their house and you're like, oh, I don't know who you are. It, 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 it is. It's very, it's humbling for me. It's, yeah. it's humbling for me. It's made me think about what I thought about celebrities beforehand versus after. And I just really realized it's it's more representative, representative of what people do for a living, the lifestyle they lead, but it's really not who they are. A person is so much more than the job they do. Yeah, and I saw what Lu- Lucy Hale said. It was humbling that you didn't know who she was. Yeah. It's, it's, good for, it's good to have that. Exactly. She has like 18 million followers or something on Instagram. And, and when I went, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's weird how you can <laughs> like, who be are kind you? of selectively famous. And it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> selectively famous? That's what it is. I mean, what honestly, a way to put it. <laughs> it's true because if you look at the internet nowadays, I mean, you yes. have people who are famous on YouTube that might not be famous by traditional senses on television. You have people on television who wouldn't be known by film. And It widens lots. the amount of celebrities the world has. Exactly. And really, it gives everybody an opportunity to become a celebrity. Absolutely, which I think is great because we all have a platform. We have something to share. We have a voice, and that's important. Who's the most famous person? They open the door, and you're just like, I don't know who this person is. Well, probably, in hindsight, Boy George. Oh, but, really? but he really? was before my time. I mean, he was yeah. born in 96. And, um, I mean, it's still Boy George, though. The makeup, like, yeah. On. Yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't a big, big rock fan, so especially of that era. So I, I didn't really recognize him. But since I've, I've obviously become more familiar with pop culture, which I don't love because I still prefer to not recognize my clients, but it's inevitable. So yeah. Yeah, it's whatever. And you still get an appointment with you, or are you just too busy oh, and booked up? Absolutely. 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 So the issue is when the show came out, I guess the most surprising thing about being a celebrity, now that I think about it, is the amount of reading requests. Got over 100 thousand requests for readings <laughs> after the show came out and I, I know E was E and E has the Kardashians and it's popular but I didn't realize like a hundred thousand people <laughs> yeah. popular wow. so um, awesome. yeah when I when I do cross paths with people in professional sense 
I, I like to, you know, meet with them, maybe chat with them after and exchange info. So I got to get on this list. Yes. Be- oh, absolutely. My mom is That's obsessed. I've been yeah. going to see John Edwards forever yeah. and right. I need, I need something. Oh, so uh, John's yeah. amazing. I love John. Do you, like, yeah. do you connect with him? I do. We've, we've spoken, we've chatted and he's really helpful, especially in season one because very few people can relate to being like a TV medium Yeah, and he did. Yeah. So yeah. He's cool. Would you consider him a like friend? Yeah, talk to him actively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, we stay in touch. That's, he another one. I mean, every this whole profession. Yeah. I'm, I I believe right wholeheartedly with <laughs> every fiber of what I got. Yeah, I just I, I want to experience it for sure. I think a, a big thing just for anyone listening, you know, who's kind of back and forth. I think a legitimate medium will put an emphasis on validation. Anybody can tell you your loved one loves you. But it's the person who's going to step in and bring forward the details and the specifics and the things that to that person, even if it's anecdotal evidence, it's still to them evidence that they're making a connection. There's something coming through that there's no way that person could know. And that's really what a good medium will aim for and, and really what it maintains the integrity of the connection. So Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Any more questions for Tyler Henry? Uh, my last one is, who is your dream reading? Is there anyone you haven't got to do yet? Yes, I actually really want to read Tanya Harding really oh, badly. Oh, yeah. She'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. She's totally down for that. I feel like she would be. I feel like she'd be game. And I want to like do it. Maybe season four would be fun. Because I felt like she, you know, in seeing the movie, she had such a fascinating story. And she went through so much. And she was so resilient, despite you know the, the scandal aspect. Just what she went through with her mom was really inspiring. And I just what? think there's more to that story. <laughs> a lot more to tell. Yes. And I think she'd be down. She's doing Dance with the Stars. So. Oh, nice. No way. I didn't yeah. know that. Put that out into the universe. I'm Tanya Harding. There. I'm like, Tanya Harding, come to me. <laughs> and you have the answers for her. Oh, we'll see. We'll wow. see. Uh, Tyler Henry, you are good energy, man. Thank you. I really appreciate You're it. You're just a delightful person. Thank you. And thank yeah. you for being open and minded enough to have me here. I'm really appreciate it. Are you really kidding? Do. Absolutely. Anytime, all the time. Uh, I hope to see you around West Hollywood. You know it. Uh, <laughs> um, do you go out? You're... Not so much, but I am around sometimes. I'll eat at Tender Greens okay. in West Hollywood. Wow. I know. I, really, I live it up. You really <laughs> spoil <laughs> yourself. I do. You don't go to Pump where the yep. other reality stars eat? I filmed there once, but nope, nope. I haven't gone back. Do you like Hollywood? Yeah. I love Hollywood. I'm a Hollywood medium, of course. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be bad on brand if I said no. <laughs> Okay, Tyler Henry, the Hollywood yes. medium. All right. Thank Watch you. Watch the Hollywood medium on E. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.